Good morning. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Salem. So I just want to add my welcome to uh, the welcomes you guys have already gotten. So, and if you guys are joining us online, we are so glad that you guys are joining us from there to staying safe in the weather. I know it's cold and, and pretty brutal outside these last couple of days. So I'm glad that you guys are, are here. So, hey, I'm going to start um, with kind of an odd question. I know this is odd, and, and just trust me, there's a kind of a reason and a purpose behind this. Um, how many of you guys have ever been to Israel? Nope, okay. Um, here's what I want you to do. Take 30 seconds, and I, this might take a little bit of like a quick thought, so you can take all 30 seconds if you need to. And if you're one of those people who just doesn't, like you're still waking up or you're super introverted, and if somebody like, you know, like looks at you, just, you know, stare at the floor or the ceiling or like double wink, you know, like get away from me. Um, but 30 seconds, just, just say, what's one thing, if you were to go to Israel, what's one thing that you would not want to miss, that you definitely want to see? Okay, 30 seconds, person by you, next to you, around you, go. This is like quiet chatter. I like it. It's like you guys are like, you guys want to keep it a secret from everybody else. I don't, like, I don't want to tell anybody else. What were some of the things you guys said? Shut them out. What? Sea of Galilee? Temple Mount? Tomb? What? Mount of Olives. Anything else? Lots of things. What's that? Bethlehem. Okay, so here's the good news, right? I'm just wetting your palate. So all of you who just said things and everybody else in the group, guess what? We're going to Israel uh, in June, this coming, uh, coming June. So you guys can check us out. I just took a snapshot um, of our website. Um, we've got, um, we're starting kind of internally. We started working with some leaders, but we have some space that actually is open. We're going to be going with another church uh, a good friend of mine down who's also in Minnesota area. And so we're going to go together on uh, June 12th through the 20th, uh, I think it says the 23rd. So kind of over Father's Day weekend, it's a disciple-making trip. And so just fun stuff that we're going to be wrestling with on the forefront. And, and yet, guys, I just want to tell you this, like they called the, the Holy Land the fifth gospel. Um, and they do that because it's like as you're there, the stories begin to come to life. And so we all know that scripture, I mean, at least I hope that we all believe and know that scripture is true. But sometimes the fact that it becomes real is different, right? And so as you go, if that's something that you're interested, you guys can come talk to me afterwards, um, or you can go to our website to the What's Happening and then click there and fill out some information. But I'd love just to invite you guys to do that because it will impact your spiritual journey uh, for the rest uh, of your life. So uh, I'm going to ask you just this question kind of from the forefront. Um, how many of you guys have ever said this uh, to yourself? Ah, finally, some peace. Does anybody do this? Does somebody say this? Right? This is something that we say all the time, right? All the time. Like there's just daily things, and maybe we don't say it out loud, but it's something that we feel. Um, and when we ask this, like, so maybe it's like a good book, you know, it's like just sitting down with a good book. Maybe it's like a cup of tea. Um, maybe um, it's a movie, you know, it could be whatever, right? And there's these things in life that just bring peace into us. And so when we talk about this, when we have these moments in life, it's kind of like, 
It's another way of asking the question, um, what is it in life that brings you peace? And so that question really points us towards these things in life that we naturally have this tendency to gravitate towards uh, in ways that brings, you know, peace into our lives. But it's also another question. It's, it's, it's another way of asking this question. What, what is it in your life that causes conflict? You know, and as you think through that, because because oftentimes as Westerners and as as you know, 21st century people, oftentimes the way that we think about peace is that it's the absence of conflict, right? Um, is that we remove conflict from, or we remove something from a zone, uh, from a space, or from an area, and that that therefore we have peace. Um, this I normally wake up around five. Uh, a.m., and uh, my body's kind of starting to slowly wake up a little bit earlier. Um, and so this morning, I naturally, I didn't quite naturally, but as close as I woke up around 4.30. And it's because there's this dinging or this, this beeping noise in the background. And so it's one of those things where you're still very much like half of asleep and waking up. And so I hear this ding, and you start to fall asleep, and then you hear it again, and you start to fall asleep, and then you hear it again. And slowly, each time, like every 10 seconds, you're slowly waking up a little bit more. And so um, little does my wife know, because she's sound asleep, fast asleep, but, but conflict is entering into the room. <laughs> You know, because like I just want that extra half an hour of sleep or whatever that is. And so as it is, as I grow more and more agitated, I finally get up and I and I start this kind of this drowsy walk to find the source of this beeping. And so as I as I make it my way, I find my way into the bathroom eventually, and it's this little like speaker thing that had been left on. And so as the battery is, you know, winding down, it's beeping so that way you know that, that the battery is almost done. And so here I am, like, half asleep, and it's beeping every 10 seconds, and I'm working on this thing for, like, 30 seconds. So it's, just like, beeping in my face. And, and the whole time, like, this, my agitation is growing because I'm so tired, and I can't find the button. You know? And so it's, like, bing, 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 beeping, and I'm, like, and Finally, I find this button, and it goes, do 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 And I was, like, <sighs> some peace, <laughs> you know, like that's, that was my morning, and then I walked outside, and it was eight below, and there was conflict in the world again, <laughs> you know, um, and I realized even in that moment, my lips were like super cracked, and so I grabbed my handy Alaska Manly Man lip balm, and I put some on, and then earlier I was like, my lips are somehow more dry than before I put it on. Like that's, and like conflict entered back into my zone. I was like, why do I even have this? You know, like conflict is this part of, of everyday life. It's this, it's this very normal uh, for us. Uh, and this is the way that we oftentimes think about peace, is that peace is the absence of conflict. And yet, peace is very much, so much more than that. So in the Bible, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, peace is not just about the removal of conflict, okay? It's not just about the removal of one thing. It's always the replacement of something that is better. So when you think about it this way, right, you take conflict out of a space and you take that out, right, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's peace. Why? Because you created an empty gap, right? And it's not until something better is in its place that peace can actually take place, right? And this is the way the Bible talks about peace. And so when we think, we come back over here to our, to our board, right? So we go back to the kind of this, this creation moment, right? So this is kind of the biblical storyline. And you go back to this creation, you 
Krish a moment. Um, we're going to talk about this, this word, right? And the word for peace in the Hebrew is shalom, okay? Um, and shalom, in its most basic, its most utter and basic sense, uh, doesn't just mean peace. It's not the absence of conflict. It's something better. It means completeness, or wholeness. And so oftentimes, you know, even in the, in the Old Testament, the word shalom can be used to refer to a rock that is without any cracks, without any blemish, right? Is that it's whole and, it would, and it's complete. And so if you get this picture, right? And, and the, the, the picture is this, is you've got God and then you've got, you know, the world and there's my, you know, half continent or half continent, and then you've got humanity, right? And so you've got these three things. You've got God, you've got the rest of creation, and the stars, and the suns, right? And then you've got humanity. And it's when the three of these things webbed together, right, apart from sin in the world, these three things, when they are in the right space, they are in a state of shalom, which means completeness or wholeness. This is the way that the world ought to be. So when we think about this creation story and shalom, we get to this place that this is, this is how we think about it. It's the word ought. The creation is the way that, that the universe is meant to be, that it ought to be. And when it is, it's, it's in this state or this experience of shalom. And it's only in this space that human Humankind and creation, for that matter, can actually flourish. This is, this is the design, this is where we flourish the most, is in the state of shalom. Which, by the way, um, how many of you guys, show of hands, how many, how many of you have at workplace conflict? Okay, come on. That's a lie, right? Everybody raise their hand. I should have just said, everybody raise their hand, right? At workplaces, there's always conflict. And it's interesting to me that sometimes in life we find that the workplace as a source of conflict, what we forget is that work existed pre-sin entering into the world. So work is not the source of your conflict, okay, right? It's interesting for us as humanity that work, the theology of work, is actually a part of shalom. We are designed to work. We're not only designed to be the image bearers of God, but we're designed to work. That's actually part of shalom. It's not until sin enters into the world where work and life becomes like that much harder, right? And it starts, if you remember, right, and we've done this before, but I'm just going to do this really quickly. As Satan enters into the space with Adam and Eve in the garden, he brings deception, right? He brings this lie and says, you know, well, did God say da-da-da-da? And this is, is super, um, it's super tricky on his part because he tells a lie that's like 99% true. And yet there's that 1% that, that raises these doubts, Right? In Adam and Eve. And so they begin to wonder, okay, if, if I was designed to flourish, I begin to doubt, is this actually the best way? Is this the best way that I can actually flourish? And there's doubts, which leads to this, this illegitimate desire, right? And we go, man, I actually, I, as good as God is and as good as everything that he's given us is, I actually want something more, right? I want something better than, than, than great, you know, or better than the best. And so, but it's in that moment, right, as sin enters into the world, that they immediately feel the sense of shame. Like, like the world has shifted, right? Chaos is now entered into the world, separation and brokenness as a result of sin and disobedience, and immediately they know that they're to blame. And yet, their natural response and attitude and reaction is to blame something else, right? And so it's in this, though, right, that they become this, this fearful being, 
right? These are kind of this, like the steps that happen in the garden, right? They become this fearful being because as God enters in and he wants to, hey, like, where are you guys at? How are you guys doing? You know, and what do they do? They, in fear, they run and they hide and they cover. And so it leads to this life, what we might call scrambling, right? And, and when we look at this, this is where we go, this right here, this is, a, this, is the, this is the reality of life for humanity, which is the total opposite of shalom. Because it's in this space, there is no rest, there is no peace, there's no completeness. What we've found as a result of sin, which started with this, but as a result of sin, results in me at the end of every day, in every moment, scrambling. There's no, there's no shalom. There's no shalom in this environment. And if you look at this, you go, you begin to wrestle with the emotions, all of the stuff that's wrapped up in this, right, in this moment, and how hard of a life that is, and how opposite of a design that God intended. The good news is, is that as the story continues, right, which by the way, if this is the way that the world ought to be, this is the way that the world is, right? And so as a result of this, though, God looks upon humanity and says, this is not right. You know, there's separation between us. And so what does he do? He enacts a plan and a pattern that will ultimately go about to bring about the redemption of his people. And so he offers, in the midst of the way that life is, he says, but there's also this beautiful possibility through the gospel about the way that life can look that you can have this over here. And here's the fun thing about shalom, and maybe this is just me kind of nerding out a little bit, but shalom, when it's turned into a verb form, means this, to restore. To restore. And so what he's doing is that he's created this plan, which we know is through Jesus and what we celebrate at Christmas, right, to take us back to the way that things ought to be but we can't travel backwards in time. So what he's doing is he's moving us forward to a time in the, in the upcoming years about the way that life will be, right? And it's, this is an interesting thing as we, as we process through uh, this story because what started as unwhole is being made whole. This is the whole thing of restoring, right? If there's gaps or spaces or cracks, it's about, it's about forging that into something that is new. So, um, the word for uh, the word shalom, which can you know be used of a rock, can also be used of the idea of a like a stone wall, and so I just kind of put together like duplos here, right? And so what this represents in its completion and in its perfection, it represents shalom because it's complete, it's whole. What happens oftentimes in life is that something gets removed, and this is why. You can't just remove something from the equation because if I remove this without replacing it, it's what? It's unwhole. It's not complete. And so shalom says that when something is missing, we restore it with something of equal or better value. And so it's bringing shalom back into the story, okay? And this happens so much in life, and it oftentimes happens in, in felt needs, okay? So as an example, so um, everywhere that we have lived in life prior to coming here has, uh, has had O's. Okay, honey O's. How many of you have had honey O's? So few of you. I said this earlier, you guys are all ignorant, your life is about to be changed radically, it's amazing. It's something so good is in front of you, you know? Um, this is like the world's greatest cereal, in my opinion. You can disagree, right, I get it. Um, they are crispy, crunchy, and full of flavor. 
They have big flavor with a big crunch. There's great things in the middle, right? That's what they wrote. Um, everywhere that I've gone, we've had these. But here, I've never been able to find them. And so I like these so much is that when I have ever gone back to Nebraska or to Wisconsin to see family, I buy like five boxes and I bring them home with me, right? The problem with that is that you eventually eat them and they what? You, you've replaced, you've, it was empty, you've replaced it, and then you eat them, and then it's gone, right? This is, this is the way that this works, right? Um, so I was walking through Menards the other day, um, and, uh, and Menards just kind of got that weird, you know, kind of grocery piece where it's like they have these weird niche things that nobody else does. And so I looked up, I happened to be like just running errands for my wife, and, and I went past the cereal, and I looked up, and I'm pretty sure that I like jerked the cart, and Eden like maybe almost fell out, you know, because I was like... They have O's, like out loud. <laughs> and people, like, I don't know if people heard me. I didn't care because they have O's, right? And so what I did is that I bought a box, or I got, grabbed a box, and then I went home and I ate it, and I went back and got another box immediately. And my point being is that I wanted whoever stocks these and whoever buys these to know that people are buying them, so they should keep selling them. Okay, that was my whole intention. Um, and so I got home, and it was this spectacular experience as Eden and I got to experience O's together. Here's the reality. As simple as this is, guys, this is so minuscule, and it's kind of ridiculous. But, you know, this happens to all of us. It's, it's interesting to me that something as small as a box of cereal can bring peace to your life. It's interesting. And don't pretend that that's not you. Here's why. You want to know why? Because when you are driving in your car and you go, man, I really, really need a latte. And so you go through Starbucks and you get your latte. You're doing the exact same thing. Because what you're doing is that you're identifying that there is a hole <laughs> in your wall. And what you're doing is that you're replenishing it or restoring it so that you can have completeness, right? Granted, it doesn't last long, but it does help, right? It's interesting to me, I was thinking about this this, this morning, it's kind of an aha moment. Um, when it comes to felt needs in life, where do we go to be restored? We go to the store, right? Because we just buy things and we replace them, right? But what happens when that's not enough? Like, what happens when it's bigger? When you think about physical health or sickness, right? It's this, we want the sickness to be removed, but then we want it replaced with health and goodness and joy, right? Or maybe it's relational. Maybe, um, maybe it's that you're incredibly lonely. You're incredibly lonely and God injects a friend into your life and it brings restoration and it works on shalom, right? Or maybe, you know, you're a big family person and you never get to see your family and so at Christmas time when they come or you go there, it injects that back into your system and it's working on completing the shalom. It's bringing the shalom into, into our relationships. But maybe it's something totally else. Maybe you're like in a destructive marriage or you're in a destructive dating relationship, or maybe you've been single for a long time and you think, man, I so long to be married, right? There's all of these different ways in which we experience these gaps or spaces, like these things, uh, in our wall. Now, here's the reality. Here's the reality is that the problem with this idea is that life is never the simple, is it? Life is never just one thing at a time, <laughs> Right? Like, oh my goodness, I have no O's, but that's the only thing that's wrong in life. You know, like that's not, that's not the way that it is. Because the one moment that this 
falls out, right, it affects the entire whole. And then this one begins to crumble, and this one begins to crumble, and then this one, and before you know it, you're left with pieces of your wall in different hands. And life then is about trying to fit and figure out both of these and work on them at the same time, right? And that's the, that's the problem with the way that we oftentimes treat shalom. It's not just this idea of the removal of conflict, it's a replacement of something that is so much deeper and so much better. Because the reality is, is that this points us to something that's fundamentally true for each of us, is that at any given moment, our entire wall is crumbling. Like our entire wall is, is, is at risk of crumbling. This is why, this, guess, this, this right here is why Christmas is so effective in today's culture. You want to know why? Because as a parent who sees the crumbling walls of kids or something else, what we can I do is that in a 24-hour period with 10 gifts for $200, we can restore a wall. The problem is, is that that only lasts then for maybe 24 hours or less if you have a four-year-old, like two hours, you know? And then all of a sudden, it's back to the way that it was. This is the way that life is. And so while shalom has this very specific sense in which we're fulfilling and building and restoring our wall, it's at the exact same time, it's this reminder that we're talking about something much bigger, this this larger reality that we need a wall that is without gaps and without cracks. We need something that is perfect and complete and that will no longer crumble, right? We long for we long for this, the sense in which God and creation and humanity, when webbed together, experience completeness and justice and righteousness and faithfulness. That's what we long for most. That's the larger picture here at that case. And that's what this Bible is. Guys, this is not a collection of random stories. It's not, it's not a bunch of stories that have these, these moral compasses and these moral values that, that just, you know, it's disconnected from one another that teaches you how to be a better person. That's not what this is. This is a single story about a single character named God as the primary character with one theme, the theme of shalom. Because here's why. At the very beginning of Genesis, what do you find? The way that the world ought to be. And what do you find at Revelation? the way that the world will be when he restores it to completeness. That's what this is. It's a story about God making things right. It's about God ultimately working to bring shalom to the world, the way that the world ought to be, the way that the world is, and the way the world can be is the way that the world will be. And so we've been in this... um, you know, this Advent series, and we're going to spend the rest of our time in Scripture. But to do this, we, you know, we, we light these candles. We first started with the idea of hope. And we lit this candle in preparation as we anticipate this idea of coming out of darkness and into light. And we moved to love. Last week we did joy, and the joy that we have. And then this week is peace. And what we find is that we're really only one candle away as we continue to anticipate, and that's what Christmas Eve is, is that as we just look at the story of Jesus and we're reminded how all of this is connected and tied into God's ultimate plan of redemption is in Jesus Christ. And that's why he came ultimately 
to earth. So this morning, we're going to spend just, you know, 15 minutes or so uh, in, in, some, in some scripture here. And I want to look at uh, Zechariah. This is a, probably a place that we don't oftentimes go. He's a minor prophet, Zechariah chapter 8. And what we're going to look at is this picture of Jerusalem as a city, which really becomes a symbol for life in, in the chaos and the disorder of life. And so just remember, uh, if you don't know, is that this is all connected to the story as Jerusalem was, you know, it was destroyed and people were exiled and then some people returned and they had to rebuild some walls and all that stuff. And so for much practical purpose, we can talk about or think about the idea of the walls being rebuilt. And yet, even though the wall in its physical form gets to be rebuilt, right, it doesn't mean that there's peace because it's this much deeper reality. So here's what he says in in chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord, of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. <laughs> Again, we talked about this like a couple weeks ago, like this is such a heartwarming, loving Christmas message. And yet the reality is, is that we will never grasp, because we detach, oftentimes, Christmas, we detach the birth from the death, and we miss and we forget, right, about the wrath of God. And the reality is, is that we will never, ever, ever, ever fully get the gist or understand in its depth uh, the way that's meant to be understood and experienced. We will never understand the depth of the gospel and why Jesus came to earth until we understand the wrath of God right, is that there's a wrath of God that is a part of the story, and yet God looks with favor in his jealousy, and he pursues his people, this righteous jealousy. Here's what he says in verse, in verse uh, 3. He says, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Okay, so I just want to just share something. How many of you guys know what Jerusalem means? Yeah, we just oftentimes just think that it's maybe just a city name, right? Like, what is Moorhead? What is Fargo? What does that mean? Jerusalem comes from two words in Hebrew. One being Salem, which should sound familiar because you're there, you know? Salem comes from the word shalom, which means peace, right? Completeness, wholeness. The city, right, is, is really focused on this idea of peace. As God names it and they bring this name to the city, it's all around this idea of completeness and wholeness. The first part of that, of that name is the verb yaru. And when you look at that, you combine those two. Yaru means to see or to experience. So you think about the city of Jerusalem, the way that it's designed is that as people enter in, what you will see or experience is the completeness you've always longed for. The peace, the shalom of God. That's Jerusalem, right? right? That's what the city is designed ultimately to do. The symbol, right? The symbol of the way that life is supposed to be, right? That's ultimately what we long for. That's what we, that's what we want, the shalom. And the way that that happens, and you can see there's New Testament tie-ins all through this passage. The way that that's going to happen is that God says what? I have returned to Zion, and guess what? I will dwell in Jerusalem. I will dwell in this place. So you talk about this idea of incarnational ministry. It's, it's this, this, this city that God wants it to be, and the way that that's going to happen is that by God leaving in some way, shape, or form, arriving in the city and dwelling in it. 
we begin to realize that this is really a symbol for humanity, that, that Jesus would take off the Spirit and put on the flesh, and here he is on earth, incarnationally living and dwelling amongst the people, and it's in this space, it's all about Jesus, that we say this is where we can see and feel the wholeness of shalom. This is the way that, that it ought to to be. And the result of this Jesus person or the result of God showing up incarnationally is that the people then as a result will be called faithful. Does it remind you of the gospel? That God will make this happen. Look at this vision in, in verse 4. This is a great vision. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. I love this, this picture and imagery of the streets. It's like this is the, this is the hubbub of the, where, where all of the relationship in life happens, and there's the way that it doesn't, it's not good, and then there's a way that it is Good. Check out this picture. This is a picture from uh, modern day um, Jerusalem in the old city of Jerusalem. When we think of streets, we tend to think of these big, massive roads where cars can go on, but they didn't have any of that back then. And so this is a little side street, you know, it's fairly narrow. And, and yet you look at this, you go, that's a really cool picture. It's really neat. It's really pretty, but it's void of something, isn't it? It's void it's void of people. It's void of relationships. It's void of laughter. It's void of the scent of spices and, and, and the things that they'd be selling in the marketplace. And you go, this is, this is clearly not the way that it's supposed to be. Then you take this next picture and you contrast it. And all of a sudden, things become a lot different. It's vibrant, it's real, it's joy-filled. You've got these two older gentlemen sitting in the front conversing and talking back, and you've got kids who are probably running around and playing, and you've got all of the merchandise and things out, and it's this picture that God contrasts between the world without shalom and a world with shalom, the world the way that he designed it ultimately to be, right? And this is something that's tied to the promise of God, Right? And we want to experience this type of shalom as much as possible in, in as much completeness as we can in the days that we have. And we know that this vision of God is connected to his promises and to his desire. Look at this next verse in verse 6. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of his people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight? Because, Lord, two things, you know, he looks at this, it's like God is like, he's fascinated by his people, right? Because there's these people out there, and, and it's like we sometimes wonder if God actually has good things in store for us. And God's kind of subtle hint in this verse right here is that he goes like, if it's good for me, it's good for you. If it's good for me, it's good for you. But here's the difference, is that God's not going to be, uh, he's not going to be wondered by the fact that when, when he wants or when he actually does this amazing feat and he brings shalom to earth, he's not going to be amazed by it because that's who he is and that's what he does. In contrast, as people observe and see this plan unfold, the shalom of God entering into the world, we will be amazed. 
In fact, that, that word for wonder actually in this space actually means like this idea is too big or too hard. It's beyond my ability. And so it's like as we see, as people see the, the, the Jesus story unfolding, we go, man, that is so beyond what I could ever do. And I'm wondered by it. I'm amazed by what God did. And this is why we go, guys, this is not, these are not disconnected stories, right? These aren't just this, this moral flow from beginning to end. It is. It's a single story about who God is and what he's doing to enter into the make the world right. And guess what? It should amaze us. It should amaze us. We should be marveled at this. Look at verse 7. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, behold, I will save my people, not you, not save yourselves, I will save, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they will be my people and I will be their God. And get this, this is this picture of shalom, right? Is there this perfect relationship in faithfulness and in righteousness. You see, it's not just pointing to bringing people back in a city, it's talking about shalom. It's talking about this, per this perfection, this completion, this wholeness that God is ultimately working people towards. And so we, we look at Jerusalem, we go, this city is a symbol, right? It's a symbol for how life is not the way that it's supposed to be. It's not whole. It's not in its entirety. And yet we're moving towards this shalom. We're moving towards this restoration, but it raises the question, how? How is God going to restore his people? Well, in the Old Testament, if you remember, there's these things called like sacrifices and offerings. One of the spe specific offerings was called a peace or a shalom offering. And what you did is that you would bring your animal to be sacrificed. And in so doing, they, as, they, as they kill the animal, it says that they would pour out all of the blood. And for us as Westerners, we kind of go, ew, that's gross. Like that's, 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 that doesn't seem right. Here's what it does, though, for us, is that it points us to the reality that the cost of peace is much higher than we would have normally expected, right? It's grotesque to us, but there's a costliness to peace because peace is not an empty wish. It's not a vain delusion. It's a process. Peace is a process that enacts the highest cost of life. Jesus. That's the story of the gospel. That's shalom. But they didn't know that. So I just want to just breeze through these. Look at Zechariah 9.9. 9. You go one chapter over, and it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, right? So there's this victorious figure that's coming out of this same Zechariah prophecy that points towards the future. But you look at Isaiah, and you go, how is this different? He enters into the world. Isaiah chapter 9 says this. It says, for to us, a child is born, right? And this is familiar, because this is Christmas. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. But get this, this is what it says about this shalom. It's not temporary, it is much more permanent. Look at this next verse, verse 7. It says, of the greatness of his government and his shalom, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time, that time on and forever, right? This is, this is crazy. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will do this. You see, you look at this picture, this portrait of this person, this coming king who's bringing salvation, and what, what he brings, the result of this is that it's going to be a peace that lasts forever, it's this peace that goes on. This is why peace, when we talk about it in, in today's world, in today's life, falls so short of what's being painted in picture here. Because it's not just injecting one little thing in, it's restoring the whole thing to completeness in a way that it will never crumble again. That's the peace and the shalom that we have in Christ. And so the people, as they would have looked at this, right? So these two things, you, you got this idea of a king, right? So there's the crown, and you know that he's going to have this little baby that's going to enter in, and we don't know yet, but it's just lying in a manger, right? And so there's all these expectations, but little did they know that this person who came in the lowly form of a baby was eventually going to die. And that's the gospel. And it challenges everything that we knew or people knew about this coming king. And yet Jesus is not concerned. He knows that these little things are real. But Jesus isn't concerned about replacing one thing in your life. Jesus is concerned about removing conflict. He had to remove the source of conflict, which is sin from the world. And that's why Jesus came to die on a cross. Look at this promise from Jesus as he shares this with us in John 14, 27. He says, peace, that is shalom, I leave with you. So as he ascends, he says, here's what I want you to have, peace. My peace I give to you. I give you this shalom. He's saying, I'm, I'm giving you this completeness of what I had. I'm, I'm offering that to you. And in fact, this is so different than the world's because I don't give it to you as the world gives and do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And you see, he's offering this wholeness to us, and so for us, we focus on these small things in life that we want removed or conflict, and what Jesus says, man, I'm concerned with the whole thing, and I'm here to bring peace in a way that's eternal and established in a way that it will never crumble again. Guys, here's, as we, as we end this, because here's what I want you to, to think about, right? As we go to, we come over here, right? We're just reminded, this is the way that the world ought to be. This is the way that the world is. This is the way the world can be. But then he says, very clearly, but this is the way that the world will be. And here's the tension for you and I, is that you and I live in a time period that's, that's here to here, right? Because for, for all of this stuff, all of this Jesus figure, all of this stuff was in the future for Old Testament people, but this is in the past for us. And so we have to adjust ourselves to a new timeline. How does peace impact us and, and affect us in today's world? Because we live in this tension between the already and the not yet, this is the way that life can be, but this is the way that life will be. And we're, we're torn in this tension because life is still a struggle, right? Life is still an incredible struggle. This is why we think about Advent. When we look at the Advent, uh, the reason for Advent, right? This is the period of preparation for the celebration, right? That's for us looking into the past. And yet at the same time, it's for us in preparation looking to this new future, the second coming of Christ, 
And we, in the midst of that, we have all of these struggles, like our wall is still broken and crumbling. And I love this in Philippians 4, right? This is what Paul tells us. He says, the Lord is at hand. He doesn't tell us when he's coming back, but we know that he is. The Lord is at hand. It's near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guide your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, for some of us today, this wall is just a complete wreck. It feels like it is in ruin, and we go, man, what is God doing in life? And here's what I want you to know, is that you can still, in the midst of brokenness, you can still experience the shalom of God. It's there, it's waiting for you. And so I encourage you to ponder that this Christmas season. And as we think about this idea, even with Jesus, it's not just that we get to experience the shalom. Jesus invites us into the story, and he says, I want you to be the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are the peacemakers, right? Um, and so here's my thought. You can experience and you can share that this, this year. So when you open gifts, as you're tearing through those things, or as you're giving gifts, as you come to that moment, any of those moments where you say, ah, finally some peace, can I challenge you and encourage you to make it about Jesus? Because even in those little moments when it's a Starbucks latte or something that's restoring and, and injecting peace back into my life, it's this reminder that Jesus came to fix the entire wall, and that's what awaits us, and that changes our view of Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we finish this morning and as we, as we celebrate Jesus' birth, as, we're, as we look backwards into the past and as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and yet at the same time we, we look forward to the future knowing all that Jesus came to accomplish and fulfill for the future's sake, that we would have eternity, this, this eternal forgiveness of sins, our eternal life with you. So Lord, as, as I think about, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded and as we know that at the end of every day that we as human beings are scrambling beings. That we are people that are filled with doubts and deception and desires and there's sin in our lives and there's shame that we feel and there's fear that we feel and there's the scrambling nature Lord, I pray that this, this year at Christmas we would reverse that, that we wouldn't be a people who scramble to the store to find those things, not that those things are bad, and that we would, we would take those things as you bring them and give them and inject them into our wall, but that we would be people who instead of scrambling would fall to our knees and turn to you and say, Jesus, you are my shalom. God, you have everything that we have, everything to offer us. And so, Lord, we would be reminded that we would not separate the birth from the death to know that peace is not a vain delusion. It's a process that enacted the highest cost of life, which was Jesus on the cross. So, Lord, inject this Christmas into our life something so much better than we could ever have imagined, the shalom of God. In your name we pray, amen.